I may have a time or two where I end up sounding like that, and it's okay. It'll be all right. <clears throat> this morning, we're going to look at the final deliverance of Moses in his personal walk with God. And in that personal walk, it was Moses being delivered through God's plan. God delivered him, as we've studied, in many different ways. But this final one, and of course, it is the deliverance for Israel. If you come back this evening for the Sunday school hour... Uh, Wes will be teaching in lieu of Brother Roger for tonight. It goes hand in glove with what we're teaching this morning. But I want us to focus on Moses and the personal aspect of deliverance. Remember, this was a man who had grown up in Egypt. This is a man who had spent 40 years in Egypt, 40 years on the backside of Midian. And now God had called him to this task and he wasn't certain how it would work out. He didn't know that it would work out. But God always is able to deliver us. And in Moses, what we're seeing is the personal deliverance that we receive in trusting in Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to see that God has a plan, and it is only through God's plan that we are saved. That begins our walk, and so for Moses, we understand it. Let's read two verses this morning, beginning in chapter 14 and verse number 30 and 31. The Bible says, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. If you are a Bible underliner, underline that. That is the picture of what the world and your flesh is to you after salvation. Dead on the seashore. The Israelites saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And Israel saw the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord. And his servant, Moses. Father, this morning as we come to the word of God, may we be specifically mindful of your plan of salvation. These chapters 12, 13, and 14 show us the process of how we leave the old life and how we come into this new life in Jesus Christ. We come into That life of promise. Oh yes, Israel would wander for 40 years in the wilderness. But this event, this Passover event, was their rescue, their salvation. It set them on that pathway to living full in the promise you had for them. So it was for Moses, so it is for each of us who today put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Pray that your hand would be upon the preaching this morning. May I deliver your words accurately, precisely, and filled with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How would you free a nation? How would you set people at liberty? Nine plagues have played out in the course of our preaching here. And in the last message, we talked about God's power was on display. But in this 10th plague, how would you have devised the liberation? I mean, a host of angels for sure, right? Probably some great armaments and chariots for our day. It would have been warplanes, tanks, and battleships. We would have devised some massive way to annihilate the Egyptian army. God chooses in this 10th plague to show us not just the end of life, for the world and what it leads to, but also the opening of new life in Jesus Christ, what we get through the blood that is shed for us. No, God chose a plan that was very different than what 
Moses or any of the others would have thought. I imagine Moses and Aaron and maybe a few other of the Jewish leaders after the ninth plague sitting around discussing how God might finally act to free them. But I don't suppose that any of them could have imagined the plan that God had designed. To be clear, it was a horrific plan. I'm not suggesting God is horrific, but the plan was terrible in a tremendous way. Every firstborn son of every home in Egypt and in the Israelites' homes in Goshen would be forfeited if they did not follow the plan as God designed it. Truly, He is the God of life and death. Moses' walk with God had come to the final chapter in his personal deliverance. To this point, we've noted that personally he has been delivered to God's purpose. God has a will for your life. He had been delivered in God's promise. It is only according to the word of God. He had been, declared, uh, he had been delivered by God's power. That is the work of God in our lives. And now it is through his plan. There are three lessons Moses must learn this morning about God's plan. First, in our outlines, it is a plan of redemption. Take your Bibles and go back to chapter number 12. What we read at the end of chapter 14 is the end of the story, the deliverance in full, if you will. There is a process to this plan of God, and it begins with redemption. The power of God closes with the final plague. In it, those who reject God are seen against those who will receive God willfully. God's plan of salvation, may I say, is available to all. Pharaoh could have easily anointed the entrance to his home with the same blood of the same lamb, and his children or his child would have been spared. But he chose not to. Whether he didn't believe it, or he didn't think it was possible, or he didn't, uh, didn't care, or his heart was, so, heart was so hardened against God that he didn't want it. Whatever the reason, Pharaoh rejected God's offer. Redemption is a price that is paid for the sins of another, in this sense, in the spiritual realm. For those who believe it was the lamb, for those who rejected it would be their firstborn son. And so we find in this plan of redemption that God has, and that Moses is here learning about, again, a plan completely foreign to how he thought God would liberate them, it begins with the shedding of blood. There has to be shedding of blood for us to be liberated. Look at what the Bible says beginning in chapter 12 and in verse number 3. The Bible says, Speak ye. God is speaking to Moses and to Aaron in verses 1 and 2. And he's telling them that this is a new beginning for them. This is new life, if you will. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto him take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And ye shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two posts and the upper post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. Now, if you go down to verse number 21, this is Moses in verses 3 through 7 receiving this of God. 
And now he goes and takes this very message to the people and declares the same message to the people. The Bible in verse 21 says, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Here's the plan. Now, what do you think happened between the time God told him and the time Moses tells these people? Do you think he ever deliberated over the plan? I don't know that this plan is a good plan. I'm not certain how this plan is going to work. No, the power of God that he could see makes the plan of God very easy to accept. So all of this process of deliverance builds upon itself. God has a purpose for us. God has promises for us. God has power behind those promises so that we can trust the plan of deliverance that God provides for us. Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass when ye be come to the land which the Lord will give you according as he hath promised, that ye shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? That ye shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And the people bowed the head and worshipped. In other words, they understood the full meaning of this. And the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. As I said in the beginning, a strange plan of liberty to be sure. This is not how we would draw up a freedom fight. Yet God was the one who made the plan that would save or rescue them. May I suggest to us this morning as believers in Jesus Christ, it is not for us to decide how we got saved. It's just to trust the plan of salvation. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ and you're struggling with this concept, may I say to you, you're no different than the Israelites at that moment. Do I believe what Moses has said is from God or do I believe my own thoughts of how we're going to be rescued? It always comes through the shedding of blood. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The lamb was to be slain and the blood was to be applied with hyssop to the doorpost, indicating the triune God and the trichotomy of man, I would say. Moses knew as a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that sacrifices were to be made to God, but this one to Moses seemed much, much different. There was intent behind each part of the instruction. In other words, in every instance, in everything, there was significance to it. But the key element was the blood. It wasn't the hyssop. It wasn't the eating of the lamb, all of it, as we'll see in the next point. It wasn't any of the things of breaking its bones or not breaking its bones. It was the blood on the doorpost, as it says in chapter 12 and verse 13. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. That was the price of redemption, the shedding of the blood. And may I say to you, the great John the Baptist said of Jesus when he came, 
Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. It was the shed blood of Jesus Christ that will deliver us from our sins today. Our walk with God is no different than Moses's. Moses had to believe that this blood on these posts were enough to rescue him, to save him from the punishment. The destroyer is what God calls him, that angel of death that came into that city. But the second, I think, aspect of redemption that Moses could see and understand and that the children of Israel had to show was their belief. Their showing of belief is the second point there. Redemption comes not just with the shedding blood, but also of the showing of what we believe in. Showing that we believe. There has to be evidence of it. And you say, well, is it the work that saves me? Absolutely not. It's God's grace through the gift of Jesus Christ that saves us. It was God's grace through the shedding of the blood of the lamb on those posts and on that lintel that rescued or saved caused the passing over in those Jewish houses, in Moses' house. But notice in verse number 8 of chapter 12, God goes on beyond just the description of the lentils and the doorposts. He says this, They shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire. It was barbecue time. And unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw. I don't know, have any of you ever had a steak with Edward? Raise your hand if you've had a steak with Edward. I mean, he... He is like that, he eats his, he, they are still bleeding. I think one of time I ate a steak with him, it's still mood. So he would not be safe in this environment. Eat not of it raw, nor he says sodden. That means just boiled in water. But roast with fire, his head with his legs, with his pertinence there. Do you know what pertinence are? It's all the innards. It's everything that's inside. In other words, there was a total consumption of this sacrifice that was required of the families in this home. Thus shall ye eat it. Or in other words, this is the manner. This is the way you'll eat it. This is what you'll be doing or what you'll be wearing or or look like. Thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand. Ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. You're going to eat quickly. Verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborns in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt." And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. In other words, they demonstrated their actual belief in God by doing everything that he said. To eat all of the Passover lamb meant that they were all in in what God was telling them to do. They believed everything he said. It was a total consummation of that sacrificed animal. Either by them, or it says, if you keep reading, that if they left any of the animal the next morning, it was to be burned by fire. Here's the picture. In that lamb, it is the picture of what Christ is for us, the sacrificial lamb. And when you and I, as New Testament believers, come to this understanding or this principle... 
Jesus Christ is not just a little bit of good to us. He's all of the good to us. In this night, on this feast, at this event, they were to take all of the sacrifice and make it all of theirs. So let's put it into our conversation for today. How much of Jesus do you have? You say, well, you know, I I got saved. I understand that. But are there parts of Jesus you don't like, so you just leave them on the side? Are there parts of the life of Christ or the life of a Christian that you would rather not live? May I say to you, you're no different than some of these Israelites that are like, well, I'll just take a little bit of the ribs. I mean, I like ribs, right? Who doesn't like lamb chops? I guess chops are somewhere else. But the point is, is you can tell I don't know animals. The point is, I just like this, or I like this piece of meat, or I like this flank, or whatever. No, they don't want to deal with the pertinence. May I say to you, sometimes in eating or consuming, bringing Christ into our life, there are going to be some things about the Lord Jesus Christ that are going to make our flesh go, hmm. You know, my dad and mom, when I was a kid, you could always tell when they were fighting. My sister will tell this story too when she, if she's ever here. When dad and mom were fighting, we had liver, which is what my dad liked, and peas, which is what my mom liked. And my dad hated peas and my mom hated liver. And so we would have liver and peas and Cassie and I would be punished for it. But God says here, listen, you got to eat the liver. You got to eat the kidney. You got to eat all of it. And the picture is not just to eat something that is grotesque or something we wouldn't do. It's this is an all consuming aspect of who you are. So we understand then that the redemption shows our belief. Not that Jesus gets just a little bit of our life. He gets all of our life. He gets every part of who we are. He needs to not just invade portions, but the whole part, the whole of us. The consumption of Christ involves both the doctrines of Christ, His attitudes and His actions as He walked this earth. That which is Jesus comes into us and flows out of us. The second sign of belief that we find in this passage is that they had to be ready to go. We're not certain how many people actually left in the Exodus. It could have been several hundreds, thousands. It could have been several millions. Different commentators have different ideas of what the population was. The point is, it was a massive host that was exiting. And he says, it's going to happen in a night. In other words, the salvation of their lives would be immediate. Quickly. God tells them, have your clothes on. Have your shoes ready, get your staff in your hand, be ready to go. I often wonder, when they got down to the Red Sea, and we'll look at this in the last point, when they got down to the Red Sea, who was the first people at the shoreline, right? Well, the answer is, likely, the first people that were ready to go as soon as this Passover happened. The Passover came, and they saw or heard the cries from the houses next door, and they knew, hey, this, the, the destroyers come, it's done, let's go. And they were out there, but I wonder the people in the back. You know, I mean, the the movie always has Charlton Heston out there, right, with his staff. Yes, and and then the sea is parted and, you know, I don't think that's at all how it was. We don't ever see that Moses is up on a hill anywhere. We don't see that Moses is separated from the people in any way. He's down and in and with the people and he's moving along with them. But who is the first family, right? They're the really bold ones because here we go on dry ground. But the really bad ones might have been the last ones because they were not as prepared as they should have been. Somebody had to be last. And by the way, when in a few moments, we're going to read in chapter 14, when the Egyptians come bearing down on them, guess who was least afraid of the world's invasion or Egypt's conquest of them again? The people at the front. 
It was the people at the back because they're led literally down into the ravines or the gorges, it's called. And one of the names is literally the, the, the gap in the ravine or the gap in the gorges. They were down by the seashore. The guys up front were like, you know what? If there's a couple million of us, they're going to get tired of killing people by the time they get to me. So in other words, the ones that were really prepared in the salvation, the ones that had really made themselves ready, they felt the most secure. That is the same in the Christian life. Those that are faithful to church, those that are faithful to serve God, those that are faithful to read the Bible, those that are faithful to share their faith, those people don't sit around worrying about their salvation. They don't fear anything. They know God's going to work. They've seen Him work already. They're up front. They're excited. It's the people in the back that are usually scared. From redemption, God's plan moves next to be a plan of reflection in chapter 13. The failure that most of us have in our walk with God is that we lose the significance of it along the way. Why is this so important? Chapter 13 is a very interesting chapter in the book of Exodus because it gives us essentially a pause. Sometimes it's like a parenthetical statement, it's called by some commentators. It gives us a bit of a pause because they're exiting, but there's explanation in the exodus. That's how wonderful God is. He gives us salvation, and the salvation for us is through the shed blood, and it is through us showing that we truly have been saved, that we believe. But he also gives us a pathway along the way. He gives us markers, things that we can note. God's plan included two reflections that Moses and Israel would need to make. The first reflection was, letter A, removing the leaven. It actually begins in chapter 12 when he explains this to them, that they were to make cakes uh, for their journey, but they were not to put leaven in it. If you don't know what leaven is in the physical world, it is usually yeast that you put in or introduce into the dough, and the flour then will over time rise. And and many of you make breads, and they're wonderful and, and very tasty. But that's the process of it. It just takes time. What God is saying in the leaven here, in, in particular with Israel in the Exodus, is, hey, the leaven, it's not, you're not going to have the time for it. This salvation is going to happen quickly. It's going to be immediate. It's going to be an instant change. You don't have time for the dough to rise. So it's going to be unleavened cakes that you must make. Truly, in verses 1 through 17, leaven is discussed as a memorial and as part of a seven-day commemoration feast, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. In the Bible, leaven is a complex topic. There's one instance where leaven is used as a good example. Does anybody know where it is? Matthew, I I see some of you straining at your Bible wisdom. Apparently it's stuck right here because most of you are like this. The point is it's in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 33. When Jesus gives us the parables of the kingdom, the only time leaven is used as a good thing, he says in that parable that the kingdom of God is like leaven. And it's in the world. And the point is, is that we are just a little bit, but we give rise to the world. We give hope to the world. We give an expansiveness. So the church's influence, the kingdom of God's influence in the world is very beneficial. Now, having that said that, every other time leaven is mentioned in the Bible, bad idea. Usually, especially when you get to Leviticus and beyond, it's about sin and corruption in your life. But here, this leaven is specifically talking about the fact of how quickly we leave what was into what is new. The the Feast of Unleavened Bread is the picture of you cannot bring any of that with you into this. 
that process is very instant. In fact, you can read it if you keep reading. In Exodus, the lesson for Moses is that their departure here would be rapid and that no time would be given to prepare. You either make the preparations when I tell you to, with the blood, with your shoes, with your clothes, with your staff, and you're ready to go, or you're not. You're going to get out on the trail and you've not made your preparations with your unleavened cakes because you weren't ready. It was an immediate response with no time for slow reactions. The Feast of Unleavened Breads that surrounds the Passover was to remind the children of Israel that salvation for them in Egypt was immediate and imminent. It was at hand. The proof is in chapter 12 and verse 39. The Bible says, And they baked unleavened cakes of dough which they brought forth out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt. And could not tarry, neither had they prepared for themselves any, and some of us read it victuals, and the rest of you read it vittles. Ask me after church about that. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough, which was brought forth out of Egypt, for it was not leavened. And could not tarry there, they, neither had they prepared themselves any vittles. So we see that process given to us. God wants us to reflect on the fact that His plan involves quick response. When we talk about this idea of salvation, friend, it is not something that you come to. Personal deliverance from this world is not something that you were just born into. The picture of the unleavened cakes, the removing of the leaven is, no, this is something that you are doing because salvation is a decision you make. I've either made the decision or I've not. The second of reflection in chapter 13 is a righteous lesson. Now, beginning in verse number 17, God gives us a very interesting aside. I didn't bring a map or have a map for you this morning just for, I think, logistical sakes. It would take too long to explain and to point out stuff. Simply to say, leaving Egypt from Goshen would have been a much easier process to go up along the coast of the Mediterranean into Canaan and up to Jerusalem on what became known as the King's Highway. It was in a valley that would travel down between the mountains that come off the Mediterranean, and it would have been a much easier, very direct route. Everybody knew it. In fact, when Jacob and his sons came down to Joseph, that's how they traveled down. That's why they settled in Goshen. God had a different route for them. There was a righteous lesson of reflection for every person who's been saved, for every person who's been redeemed. Chapter 13 is telling us, look, you've got to leave the old leaven out. The old sins, they cannot be done anymore. And not only do you have to leave them out, you need to learn the lesson of where are you going next. Read with me in verse 17. It came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, Although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed. That word harnessed means they were prepared or fit for battle is what that means. Out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him for he had straightly, Joseph had straightly sworn the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you and you should carry up my bones away hence with you. And they took their journey from Succoth and encamped in Etham in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in the pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. 
He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. The picture here is of a Philistine army waiting to pounce upon Israel. When Israel went down to Joseph into Egypt, it was with God's blessing back in Genesis 48, but they abandoned the promised land. Where they were being led, what they were being delivered to was back to a life of promise in a land that was promised to them. That is what we are saved to. When Adam fell in the garden, sin cursed our race. But in Jesus Christ and the redemption that we have, we are going to a life that is promised better than this one. But we can live there now. And the process of getting there is going to be one that is tough. What God says to them here is, look, there's going to be some wars you have to fight. And right now, the day after your salvation may not be the time to fight them. I'm not suggesting that when we get saved, we're not able to fight the spiritual warfare. But what we learn from this lesson is, don't pick fights that God's not leading you into. There's got to be spiritual growth and spiritual maturity for the believer. Oh yes, we've all read stories of people that say, I got saved and the next day I took that bottle and I smashed it. I took the cigarettes and threw them out the window. I burned all my CDs. And that's all well and good. But God is saying the spiritual life is a process of continual growth. The reflection point here, the understanding is, look, if we went to the Philistines, they would be in a bloody battle. And he's still God. Could God have wiped out the Philistines like that? Yes. He's got, he just took care of the greatest empire on earth and released them without them lifting a finger. He could have easily taken care of them, but what he's saying is leaving the world and the Philistines are a picture of the flesh. Fighting the flesh, that's a tough battle. When you get saved, just get settled in the fact that God will lead you. That's what he says in verses 21 and 22. Just become settled in the fact that God and his word will be that which leads you in this life. Trust that truth. A pillar by day, a pillar by night. There was always the presence of God along with them. These are two thoughts to reflect on. Get rid of, keep out of your life that old leaven. It has to be gone. That life is passed away. And as you go into this new life, let God lead you. Don't run out ahead of him. If the Philistines had found, or if the Israelites had decided, nope, we're going the king's highway and found themselves with the Philistines, that pillar of fire would have been sitting right by the seashore and said, you need to come this way. We need to go where God goes and not where he doesn't. The third and final thought this morning is not just of a plan of redemption and reflection, but in chapter 14, it is a plan of release. The Israelites left Goshen and stopped in a place, if you read chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, Pi-ha-hiroth, easy for me to say, and you as well. It means the place of the gorges or the place of deep ravines in the rock. And it was at a place of Migdal, which means the stone fortress. And it was beside Baal-Zephon, which means the god of the north. This was a place of barrenness destitution, and hopelessness. In other words, this was a trap. The Bible says that they were entangled, quite literally, if you keep reading it in verses 3 and 4. Pharaoh recognized that he had them right where they want them. By the way, the world, the devil in our flesh, when you get saved, he thinks, they think, it thinks 
They have you right where they want you. And the answer is no. If you follow God, you are right where God wants you. But that's not to say that when you get saved, there's not for a couple days or a couple weeks or a couple moments where you go, what did I just do? That's what's happening to Israel. What did we just do? I, I, I swore off my family's religion. I'm not in the church that my daddy brought me up in. I now have a belief in Jesus Christ. It's different than, and the answer is sometimes that happens to some of us. And so in this release, God gives to us really two in chapter 14. First, it is a release from fear. It is a release from fear. If you kept reading and got down to verse number 13, they are pursuing the Egyptians. Pharaoh says, I got them. I got them right. What, you idiots? They went the wrong way. Legitimately. Look where they went. They don't have enough boats for that many. If it's hundreds of thousands, they didn't have enough boats. If it's millions, they certainly didn't have enough boats. How are they going to get across there? I got them right where I wanted them. We're going to slaughter the whole lot of them. We're going to take care of this problem. Continue reading. If we go to verse 13, the Bible says, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not. This is their thought. They're crying out to him. Hey, look, it's better if we had just stayed in Egypt and died. Why did you bring us out here? In verse 11, why hast thou dealt this way with us? Moses said unto the people, fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye see today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. What a powerful message. Can I tell you something? This is Moses being fully delivered. Because we don't find God giving him this message. This is Moses declaring this because he was trusting in the God of heaven. Nowhere in the interluding passages do we see God show up and say, all right, here's what you're going to say to them. Moses, this is what you're going to declare to them. No, this is a man that is now living in the full release of being in God's control. Stand still and trust God. Calm down. May I say to you, in the world that we live in, a lot of us Christians just need to calm down and trust that God is in control. It is a wicked, fallen world. Everywhere we look, it seems to get worse and worse. I'm happy for all of the new babies being born in this church. And there are times that as a pastor I think, man, it's going to be a tough world to grow up in. I'm very thankful for Zach and Sarah. You know why they named Madeline, Madeline Hope? Zach told me in the hospital, he said, because there's always hope with God. That's a good, man, that's a fantastic name for her to have. And the answer is there is hope. The release that Moses knows here, he's sharing with others. That's why this puts an end to the personal deliverance of Moses. Oh, there's going to be episodes that he might have here or there in the process of the wilderness wanderings. But in the Exodus itself, this for him is his deliverance. He understands God's purpose. He understands God's promises. He understands God's power. And now he's seen the fullness of his plan. And friends, he's standing on the seashore with no knowledge of how he's getting out. But he knows he's getting out because God declared it. He hadn't failed yet. It's not like God said, well, you, you went the wrong place, man. I, I, I messed up. No, he knew God would work, even though God hadn't spoken to him yet. That's faith. 
The second thing is that they move forward. Once you've established that you're going to live in faith, not in fear, and that's a wonderful place to, to live, God hath not given us the spirit of peer, fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, Paul wrote to his son in the faith, Timothy. Once you have that, there is the movement forward. Once you've been saved, there is a walk with God that's going to begin. Moses' walk had gone on now for 80 years. But now as the leader of Israel, he was going to take others. Dads in here, husbands, men in here. Maybe it's your job to stop this morning and say, I'm going to lead my home in a way that honors God. I'm going to make the choice to follow God as Moses did and not drag my wife and kids along by the hair, but lead them in love to say, this is a good place to be. This is a good thing to do. This is the right way to live. That's what we need in this world is more men to do that. Salvation in Jesus Christ will help us. But notice in verse number 15. The way forward is found in verses 15 and 16. The Lord, or he had just finished, the Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace, verse 14. Verse 15, and the Lord said unto Moses, wherefore criest thou unto me? What is going on? What's the problem? And in a, in a moment, Moses has just said, hey, God will save us. And God says to him, what's, what's wrong? And Moses probably said, well, there's you know, this little thing called an ocean right here or a sea. I, I don't know if you've seen that, God. I'm just making sure you're aware of it. Like rocks and sand and bad guys. I, I'm not sure if you're aware. God's always aware. And he says, what's the cry? What God is asking Moses is, what do you need me to do? That's what God wants from us as believers. When we come crying to him, he's asking us, well, what do you need me to do? What are you supposed to do, but what do you need me to do? And here's what God tells him to do. He says, lift up thy rod. The rod is the word of God, by the way. And so there at the Red Sea, with no other direction and no other help, Moses lifts up his rod and the sea parts. The two pictures cannot be more clear for the New Testament. It is the word of God and the spirit of God. The east wind rushing comes and parts that sea. There's dry ground. Only God could do that. And they walk across. The point is, God wants you to move forward, but he only wants you to move forward following his lead. And what does he put between the Israelites, Moses, and the Egyptians? That pillar. That presence of God, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what stands between us and the old life. Us falling back into that way of living. Succumbing to it. Dying again to it in our, in our salvation. The rod is lifted up. The waters are parted by the rushing wind. The rod, a symbol of God's word. If we, friends, will lift it up in our daily lives... Day after day after day, we will find from the Word of God the pathway forward. It is what the Spirit of God will do to those who have been redeemed. He will show us the pathway forward. He will make us have sure footing. God's plan is always wonderfully simple. Live with His Word elevated in your life, and His Spirit will make the path forward clear to us. That's how God works. Well, well, I want to come to you, Pastor, and have you tell me what the next five years is supposed to be like for me. I am not a clairvoyant. I'm not a soothsayer. I'm a pastor. I can't tell you what the next five years of my life are going to be like, but I can tell you that if I follow the Word of God day by day, that the next five years will be wonderful years of my life. 
And this personal deliverance is wonderful when we understand it. In closing this morning, Moses' personal deliverance from his old life was to God's purpose. It was in God's promise. It was by God's power. And hear this fourth message on his personal deliverance. It is through God's plan. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ. You do not need to slaughter a lamb, paint its blood on the doorpost of your house, and eat it in a night. Moses did. What you need to do is to trust in the living Lamb, Jesus Christ, who once died for your sins, was buried and rose again. His blood shed for you is the payment for your sins. That is the personal deliverance that is instant. The old sins, the leaven is left behind. The new lesson is follow God's leading. Redemption through the shed blood of Jesus, which we must demonstrate by faith. Belief in Him. Reflecting on the truth that sin has been removed, we as Christians this morning should live righteously in and through God's leading. This will lead us to a life of release. There's a lot of pent-up, pent-up Christian anxiety. And as a pastor, I often wondered, why are we so worried about life? Well, we just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, well, God does. And he's promised good for us. Well, but that may mean I'm, I lose a loved one. You might. I might. I don't want to, but there is still hope and help in God. There is no hope outside of God. So there is release from fear, but the release is so that we can move forward. Oh, Christian, if you haven't begun to walk with God and find new ways in which God can use you and lead you in this life, new opportunities in ministry, make today a day that you say, I'm moving forward for Almighty God. Father, help us, I pray this morning.